and the pride shall stand as one, powerful in the light, and supreme among beings. Welcome you to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ethan Maestri. And I'm Ryan Mazzacco. And each edition of Drive Back the Night, we take an episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda and we analyze it for the things that we like, that we appreciate, the things that we learned, and sometimes the things that we can harp on and uh, make fun of as well. (laughs) That was good. Tonight... We're going to discuss Harper Delete. Ryan, how you doing? I'm all right. Uh, I do wonder, though, is that Harper Delete? Is it Harper slash Delete? Harper forward slash Delete? I, I wondered the same thing myself. Uh, I'm surprised we didn't consult about this in our pre-production meeting. <laughs> yeah. Is it is it a forward slash or a backslash? Because that, that does make a difference. It does. But I'm just going with Harper Delete here. But okay. before we get into trivia... In which now I feel like I'm not doing my job because I didn't look up <laughs> how to actually pronounce the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, that feels like a glaring omission for my trivia now. But before we get into that, Ryan, I want to take a moment to talk about our sponsor for this week's episode. That sponsor being Camouflage Tracksuits. Now, we know that there are a lot of options in apparel to choose from when going on exploratory missions or recons to the surface of any planet. And sometimes it can be hard to decide, what am I going to wear? That's absolutely right, Ethan. But let's face it, of the millions of M-class planets out there to visit, you can pretty much bet most of them are pretty Pacific Northwest climates. Am I right? Deciduous evergreen forests, cold mountain streams, rugged countryside. It's pretty much all the same no matter where you go across the galaxies. You are correct, Ryan. So the next time your boots are going planet side, make the apparel choice that makes the most sense. That's camouflage tracksuits. Camouflage tracksuits are made from the choicest cytopline polymer fibers, meaning that these tracksuits will keep you warm, dry, and protected in the dampest of climates. Even in atmospheres containing acidity levels up to 28%. 28%! That's amazing! It sure is. And because of those cytopline polymer fibers, Camouflage tracksuits also shield you from thermal sensors, allowing you to sneak around perimeter fences in comfort and style. Plus, they also lock in odors and wetness, meaning you never have to stop to take care of your business when you're on a mission of important business. Whoa, Ethan, that all sounds great, but what if there's a hungry Magog? Oh, that's a great question, Ryan. With camouflage tracksuits odor shielding properties, you'll be able to flee to safety without having to worry about staying downwind of those filthy animals. Yeah, but what about style? I like to look good when I'm exploring a new planet. Camouflage tracksuits come in a variety of colors and designs, Ryan. They will suit whatever your environment may be, so long as that environment is temperate and the color is black. 
Whether exploring a new planet, meeting officials in a diplomatic capacity, or just lounging in your off-duty hours on the most glorious of heritage cruisers, Camouflage Tracksuit is the only apparel that you're going to need. Pick up your Camouflage Tracksuit at a drift near you today. And a special thank you to Camouflage Tracksuits for sponsoring this week's episode. Now that that's out of the way, Ryan, what do you say we get to trivia? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and sign all of these endorsement checks while you're reading that. <laughs> okay, you do that. Camouflage tracksuits because of all the money we made from our endorsements. That's right. <laughs> Sponsorships. Trivia for Harper slash Delete. Whoop. My hand's starting to cramp or, already. <laughs> or Harper Delete. This episode was written by Naomi Jensen. Now, previously, we have seen her byline on the season three episode, For Whom the Bell Tolls. That is the episode in which Andromeda discovers it has a dead body somewhere deep inside the ship. And uh, metal-eating maggots are destroying the ship at the same time. You remember that episode? Barely. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Uh This is the first of four episodes that she has written for season four. Uh, And a further three episodes are coming from Naomi in season five. Now, this episode was directed by Richard Flower, and his first credit, coincidentally enough, comes in another Harper-named episode. We saw his first director credit in Harper 2.0 from season one. And now he is returning for Harper Delete. He has at least two. I guess he wasn't. I guess he wasn't really happy with the second version. (laughs) I guess not. He has at least two director credits in each season since, and we will see him teamed up with uh, Naomi Jensen in the next episode that she has written coming later in this season, Exalted Reason, Resplendent Daughter. So we have that to look forward to as well. Our actors for this episode, Carmen Moore returns as Trigemma in 2020. Uh, there were a couple of acting credits that I was going to bring up, uh, since it had been a little while since we had talked about this particular actress. Uh, she has appeared in the Nancy Drew television series and a series called Cardinal, as well as the long running Supernatural series. She also has a role in the sci-fi romance film, Little Fish. Adam Batrick, he plays Prince Kala. He has a short credit list. Andromeda is an early credit. And he also appears in genre in the series The 4400. Christian Boucher plays Caleb Voth. He is a prolific character actor in guest roles since the early 90s. Of note, he has appeared in Melrose Place and Murder, She Wrote, and in genre appearances on The Outer Limits, Jeremiah, and Stargate's SG-1 and Atlantis. Ona Grauer plays Malia Voth. She had early roles in the late 90s in series like Sliders and The Net, and later bigger roles in series like Stargate Universe, The Collector as Katrina, in the series Intelligence, she was also named Katrina, or as a voice actor in the animated series Archer as Katya Casanova. When not in television roles as a character that starts with the letter K, she can be seen in films like Catwoman, Elysium, and Firewall. And that, Ryan is trivia so far (laughs) so far so far i'm trying to to come uh well while you're doing summary i'm gonna look up how to pronounce harper delete (laughs) and tack that on as an addendum what do you say that sounds great no i'm not really gonna do it i'm gonna kick back and enjoy my uh whiskey while you do summary ryan 
it's time for the summary for Harper slash Delete. We opened with our crew searching aboard the wrecked, repurposed set of the Andromeda, which for this scene we are calling the Magellan Melro, a glorious heritage-class Sky Guard ship trying to recover a powerful weapon which the Commonwealth stole from the Magog that ceases all mental function of any sentient life forms in the vicinity when activated. It seems that it has recently been activated as the entire crew of the Melro are essentially brain dead, though they are biologically still alive. The hollow surveillance replay shows that it was Nietzscheans who were responsible for the attack and then took the weapon, called File D, once the crew was incapacitated. Dylan FaceTimes with Trigemma, and they compare notes. Here's what we know. The Nietzscheans responsible are from the Rakasha Pride, headed up by the underwhelming Alpha Caleb. He has some sort of feud going on with his sister, Malia, who has banished him and his posse to the primitive side of the planet. We also find out that the file D weapon can be activated by a sharp movement, like when on a ship being struck by a missile from a Nietzschean ship, for example, and something else. As plot would have it, right around this time, the Andromeda intercepts a transmission from Melia to Caleb in which she shows that she has kidnapped his son, Callan, and will kill him if he does not deliver file D to her by midnight. They sneak down to the planet under the cover of an arriving cargo convoy and discover that file D is being held in a transport. They need someone techie techie to go figure out what makes it tick and possibly how to disarm it. Harper volunteers for the assignment that they had already given him without telling him. He weasels his way past the lone inept guard and gets to work. Andromeda is able to get a read on the layout of the cell block where Callan is being held, so Dylan arranges a meet-and-greet with Malia to act as a decoy so Becca, Rami, and Trans can go bust him out. Usual jailbreak stuff, yada yada yada, they bust him out. Dylan goes to negotiate with Caleb, but it goes nowhere. Meanwhile, Harper is shooting neutron radiation at the device, something you'll need to remember later. Probably already know it isn't a real good idea. In a total related event. Harper unknowingly accidentally activated the device. It sinks to his heartbeat, and after a certain number of beats, it will go off, essentially killing anyone within range. It is also already sent out a homing signal to the Magog. The drone takes flight with Harper aboard, though he doesn't know it's moving because it uses internal gravity fields to counteract the motion. Caleb threatens to send the drone with file D to Terrazed and set it off, and then he will take over the Commonwealth capital himself. Magog ships appear, and Caleb backs off and agrees to return the drone. They capture it safely in the Maru as Harper disarms it, and then Andromeda destroys all the Magog scout ships. I guess at some point, Dylan returned Callan to Caleb. Trigema also ordered Dylan to return File D to the Commonwealth, but he says, nah. Also, also, the Andromeda determined that the other thing that can active file D besides a sudden jolt is neutron radiation. So maybe don't do that anymore, Harper. The end. Ryan, don't you hate it when you write something and then it's like four months before you revisit it again? Um, <clears throat> I couldn't tell you. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, because you mean, you mean because of what it just happened just now? Yes. Less than seconds ago? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, yeah. Or the fact that we had the conversation off mic that you had forgotten that you had even written the summary to begin with. 
yeah. And that was a load off of my mind because it was a lot less work for me to have to do this afternoon. That's true. That's uh-huh. true. Thanks for showing up, by the way. Yeah. No it's such a late hour. But Thanks in any case, me. that's that's a little view behind the curtain for you folks. But <laughs> that's not what you came here to hear. Uh, I, I'll go first. And I really, it's about one of the characters. Malia Voth, a Nietzschean named Malia Voth. I did a Google search, as one does, for mm-hmm. famous evil people named Voth. I didn't put the evil in there. I just did famous people named Voth. Uh, the closest thing I could come up with is Henry Voth, who was an American Mennonite missionary and ethnographer from the mid-1800s. I can't see that they did anything particularly evil, but, you know, they, they were certainly were not a world ruler, nor has any ruler been named Malia either. This character does not fit the pattern of Nietzschean naming. I'm just saying. Well, uh, Trailblazer, maybe? Yeah, marches to the to the beat of her own drum, I guess. Yeah, marches to the beat of her own distant drum, much like another Nietzschean that we love so much. Yes. And how did that all work out for him? Well, we don't know yet, do we? Nope, still waiting to see. Okay. Still waiting to see. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm just saying, as far as the, the method that Nietzscheans have gained their names so far. This one was, uh, this was out of left field, really. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, uh, Austin Voth is an American baseball player. There's your left field reference. Oh, did he play left field? I have no idea. Oh, cause I that would have been amazing. It would have been amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listener, if you can find out for us, if Austin Voth played left field and we just hit a home run with this, be sure to let us know in the comments. Yeah. Now, just to be clear, that is American baseball we're talking about. Yes. Okay. Not the European variety. Right. Um, so, hey, speaking of ball, there's a lot of throwing things in this episode, starting with Becca throws her voice. What was the expression? Hey, big boy. Hey, Bubba. Yeah. What was it? Hey, big boy. Yeah. 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 Um, nope. Didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not? No, no. Um, first of all, I hadn't seen any other women on this entire planet other than Malia and a few of the okay, on their side. But on Caleb's side, I didn't see any any Nietzschean women. Um, so that really should have been more of an alarm of anything, right? Rather than attracting him to go over there. Am I wrong? I know off here. I, no, I'm I'm following you. Okay. Um, and even still, uh, the, we're talking for as far distant into the future as this is, uh, you would think they would have some better sound quality on little voice throwing devices because <laughs> that was not believable that that is a human person speaking over there in that area away from this area that I'm supposed to be guarding. I, I am going to stop you on that because we are we are talking through Zoom. There is some de- degradation of audio quality. I think, you know, those in the, what's the saying? Those that live in glass houses, we probably shouldn't talk about audio quality in the show. <laughs> well, I mean, I think we still sound better than what Becca's voice did in that little possibly contraption. I'll give you that. I possibly? will give you that. Yeah, Possibly. <laughs> uh, but I, I do, to your point of, should the guy immediately have gone into a defensive crouch? Yes. 
<laughs> he, should, he should not have been enticed to go over into the general area of the sound of her voice. Mm-hmm. But, c'est la vie. Uh, you know what? And I got another one for you, Ethan. Again, we're still on the subject of throwing things, and we're still on the subject of this inept guard, right? So he, he sees the three there, or he sees, who is it? Yeah, it's the three of them. He sees the three of them there, and he says, drop it. And so Dylan, no, he doesn't drop it, tosses his force lance. I mean, I, no, you got to bat that thing down. You get away from it. He's throwing something. He's throwing a weapon at you after you just told him to drop it. Is that not a clue? I think we're learning a lot about this guard. That he's inept. Yeah. Very much yeah. so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, valid point. Uh, a person in his line of work should have known to dodge rather than catch. That mm-hmm. That is extremely valid. Since we're talking about objects to hold uh i must have missed it when nintendo wii released the high guard edition of the wii controller yeah i mean so much more intuitive than the wii controller that i was used to well i I tell you what it was a great day when i figured out that i could just flick my wrist and i would have the perfect uh wii sports bowling form yeah and i could hit strikes every time Mm -hmm. but i was cheating basically I was not getting into the spirit of the Wii controller, you know, with the full <laughs> arm, full body motion to throw the ball down the lane and, and hit a strike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these seem like they were, yeah, you're right, quite a bit more intuitive, the the controllers for the, uh, the uh, cage match. Yeah, I will say something that is very realistic is that after I lost a golf match, I did fall on the floor. <laughs> So that's real. So that tracks. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. Hey, you know what it seems like I like talking about tonight? Besides throwing things? Falling on the floor? No, inept guards. Okay. Um, <laughs> because we have another one. Oh, you like, have a lot. Yeah, you have a lot to choose from. In, in what universe does Harper look like a Nietzschean? Or does he look <laughs> like he should be there at all? Uh, it's true. I'm in on the joke, so I know who Harper is, but come on, you got to see that one coming a mile away. Yeah, I was a little curious. I did not look closely enough at the other people that were walking by. Did they have bone blades? Yeah. Did they? Okay. Yeah. So, so, uh, fail. This guy fails. Well, but he was wearing the big heavy the cloak that he had stolen from somebody or out of a case or something. He, he was, he had his arms covered up that he was that smart about be, that. Yeah. This, that was he smart. Was smart there. He covered up so you can't see the lack of bone blades, but you still can't cover up the fact that he's five foot three <laughs> scrawny little guy. He was the runt um, of the litter. Yeah. I mean, just those, those traits, everything that is Harper is bred right out. Of the Nietzschean line. <laughs> true. Quite true. Here, here again, we have the, the vaunted Nietzschean intelligence is not that great. Because Dylan says, if you believe that, then I'd like to sell you, uh, what do you, we say, a, a planet with a three moon view or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. Now, we all know what he's referencing there, right? Right. If you believe that, then I would like to sell you some oceanfront property in Arizona. That's mm-hmm. typically how we re- uh, are familiar with that. But we know, we get it, right? We're in on the joke. Yes. Except uh, for and Caleb. for those of us who are not 
familiar with U.S. geography. We do have a lot of people around the world that listen. That so, is true. That is true. Yeah. Um, Arizona is a landlocked state. There is no oceanfront property. Now that I have mansplained this joke and probably <laughs> ruined it for everybody. Go ahead. The collective eye roll of the listenership <laughs> is extreme, is intensifying right now. But um, yeah, so now that it's been explained, we're all in on the joke. It's a pretty, for us, it's a pretty common expression. No, not for Caleb. Caleb mm-hmm. actually has to say, explain this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this guy is not smart. But that seems to be par for the course for Nietzscheans in this pride or on this planet. So, you know, I think Dylan really missed the boat for an incredible Leslie Nielsen moment. Oh, really? Because when he's oh, yeah, because when he's talking to Trigema, it's funny you bring that up because I've for some reason I've been watching a lot of uh, police squad and airplane clips lately. Oh, well, for some reason, you mean because it's really good viewing? And holds up well. That's very, yeah, you're right. That's, yeah, yeah. I think that's the reason. Because I'm a, I am an intelligent human being. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And have a good sense of humor. So, Trigemma, she, uh, her first question to Dylan, she says, uh, of course, referring to the Nietzscheans that boarded the ship and took the ILD. But she just breaks in right in the very first part of the conversation. She says, who are the Nietzscheans? I wanted Dylan to say, they're a group of uber humans that broke off from the species and started developing their own subspecies, but that's not important right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would have been great. That would have been, I I would have given the, well, uh, we're, we're going to get into something I don't want to cross into just yet. Anyway, this is kind of the last point and, and maybe I want to bring it out as to just point it out the way we, the way we do this in this segment here. But I almost want to save this for something we learn about Dylan. And maybe you can coach me on this after I reveal to you. I want to talk about Dylan gambles with all of their lives. And it's played off as a ha-ha moment right there at the end. But, man, had it gone the other way, it would have been so terrible for the crew. They would have been dead, right? If Dylan's bluff had been called, this episode would not have finished the way it did. Um, I mean, like I said, they play it off, haha, and you almost want them to freeze frame '80s sitcom moment, but they don't do that, and we go on to the next episode, which is important for the show to continue. But what if, what if Dylan had been wrong in this case? I mean, the 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 Magog would have attacked, right? Uh, the probe would have been destroyed, or File D would have killed them all. That's actually what would have happened. File D would have been triggered. Um, I'm a little bit less comfortable with Dylan's command style. <laughs> and if I'm going, if it's the end of the shift and I'm have been on the command deck and had seen all of this played out, I'm going back to my room and I'm a little bit concerned and my anxiety level is probably up a bit. Don't you think? Uh, I mean, you know, there's always risk involved in being in high guard or any any sort of uh, of, of mission where you have – there's danger inherent in it. Um, are they necessary risks or are they unnecessary risks? Uh, Harper kind of touched a little bit on it actually early in the episode when um, Dylan mentions something to along the lines of don't let me down. And Harper is like – or oh, he said don't let me – don't make me regret it. And Harper says uh, – 
well, you know, even if it doesn't work, you're not going to know anyway, because they're, they're just all going to be toast. Their brains are going to be wiped. So, you know, it was, a, that there, <laughs> yeah, what it was it? also a ha ha moment, you know, Yeah. but there's a lot said in that, in that, well, what if, what if things do go sideways? What if they don't go the way that uh, Dylan thinks they're going to? Well, none of them are going to know. True. True. So they, they just do what they have to do to accomplish their mission. I don't know. Do you think that Dylan was reckless or do you think that he was just doing what he needed to do? Well, in the moment, Dylan is his back's against the wall. So he makes, I guess he essentially makes the only decision that he felt that he could make in that moment. But then when revealing it to the crew, the effect that it has on the crew is, well, Harper immediately exclaims, well, he's advanced from, uh, I forget how he phrased it now exactly, but he advances from gambling with our lives to uh, playing Russian roulette. Yeah. And I don't know, it feels like, if I were a member of that crew, even that core crew in which they have essentially become family, suddenly I'm looking at Dylan with a little bit less, uh, there's a little bit less shine, you know, a little less polish on the reputation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just feel like. Now, that's yeah. not what actually is taking place here. But in reality, <laughs> I would be a little bit concerned about my commander uh, playing fast and loose with mine and everyone else's life in the uh, quadrant. Yeah. Well, the stakes are also that much higher, though. True. I mean, the the price of failure is is much more than just their lives at this point. Yeah, you're right. You're right. No, and, and that that is uh, this is a good jumping off point where I think we can segue into the next section of our discussion and what what do we actually learn. Uh, from this particular episode about the the universe of Andromeda. And yeah, uh, File D is in, is in play. And File D is, what is it? I mean, does the episode really explain what it is? Um, the way I have it written down in my notes here, I call it an organic EMP. Okay. Good description. Okay. Very apt. That uh, is, is extremely fragile and activates when bumped. <laughs> yeah or scanned with certain radiations right yeah yeah so this comes from the high guard right or the commonwealth has developed this mm -hmm. why are they messing with this why is this technology that they're trying to invent i mean essentially all it's going to do is allow you to conquer planets full of vegetables is this something that the commonwealth does now it makes absolutely zero sense to me why to develop a weapon like this. And I was a little bit confused at times because I was also thinking um, that this is a weapon that was developed by the Abyss for the Magog. And because there's the homing signal, it calls the Magog. Okay. So you can see how it's useful to the Magog. Yeah. Now um, you have a planet full of, of uh, compliant or, or pliant meals. Yeah. And all, but also is that what they want? Cause the Magog, they, they love the sport. Too, they, right? Yeah, that is true. I, I don't know if the Magog really want to go for this. That's why they're trying to shut it down. <laughs> right. Whoa, 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 whoa. We want to keep the playing field even here. <laughs> yeah. This is a splinter group. They're like, Hey, listen, this isn't what we signed on for. Yeah. 
Um, no, but it is. It does bring a good bring up a good point, though, and that's the question that that I have is: no matter where this thing actually came from, no matter who actually developed it, why does why does the Commonwealth want to have anything to do with it other than just eliminating it? Yeah. No, it, that's a that's a great point because it very easily made it into the wrong hands. I mean, mm-hmm. it's on a high guard vessel and well, like you said, it, it I guess it got bumped mm-hmm. and accidentally went off and then fell immediately fell into the wrong hands because mm-hmm. the Nietzscheans were right there ready to scoop it up. Which you know, the whole sequence of events here just felt like it felt preposterous, but hey, we gotta we gotta crank out an episode here. So don't look yeah. too closely at the man behind the curtain. <laughs> Did you have something to add on that? Well, just that uh, I mean, I think there were too many wrinkles in that curtain to begin with. Because I mean, if you're going to have this thing on a high guard ship, you're supposedly guarding it. Um, but I, I'm I would be concerned about even going into slipstream. Yeah, because that jostles the ship around a little bit, quite a bit. Actually, I mean, is that going to set this thing off? Why have a weapon that is so easily set off by virtually anything that could disturb it or a very specific type of radiation? Yeah. Uh, I also did not is that like... just a design flaw? Did they, just, <laughs> did they not quite get through all of the well, this thing, on this? This thing is a design flaw from start to finish. From yeah. from its intent, it's... it's uh, it's packaging the name file D seriously. Why not something cool like the mind flayer or the mind blender? <laughs> Come on. Something as innocuous as file D. Yeah. Of course. Somebody's just going to, some ensign's going to be carrying it around and drop it and set it off. And suddenly everyone is vegetables. In the- well, yeah. Is that what it is? It's kind of like, see, I'm holding one of these little flash thumb drives. Yeah. Like that—that's how they get you. They—they they leave one of these laying in a parking lot, and somebody takes it into their corporate office. Like, oh, I wonder what's on this, and they plug it in. Virus. Boom, look, this thing—it's—it's it's harmless. There's sure. nothing. Yeah. There's nothing to this thing. Yeah. Oh, except that it can take down an entire corporation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I—I I see your point. I see your or point. An entire Iranian nuclear plant. Yeah. For example. <laughs> For. Just. Just spitballing here. Uh huh. Yeah. Something like that can, couldn't possibly happen. Uh, but yeah, so File D to me was just... I understand why it's in the show. Because it is the thing that allows us to have this particular plot. If we want to call it that. It just... Do you, it, want, do you, do you want to call it MacGuffin? Okay, let's call it MacGuffin. Do you want to go that far? File M for MacGuffin. <laughs> 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 yeah, let's go there. Let's go there. Uh-huh. But I, at, at the same time, I look at it and see it for what it is as the MacGuffin, as the thing that allows us to have the interactions that essentially make up the rest of the show, because it's just about the interactions of Dylan between the two opposing sides, the two Nietzscheans. And I don't know. I, I almost felt like I, it's, it's a scary piece of technology. I would like to have known more. I would like to see this play into future storytelling. Sadly, though, I don't think it ever is going to appear again, even though Dylan's holding on to it. Yeah. What do we know about it? I mean, okay, so for example, what is its range? 
We know that they were he wanted to take it to Terrazad and wipe that out. Yeah. So at least in, in they were all in danger. They're on the planetary planet. scale at least. So yeah. Is it is it a system wide disaster? Or is it just a planet and maybe some of its moons? It's three moons. Yeah. It seemed yeah. like it seemed like they were scared for whatever sector they were in. Yeah. I don't know if, if it was actually that wide ranging or not. But definitely on the planetary scale, which that's a lot of real estate. I, I don't want to dwell too too much on it because you can't, because you can very quickly just devolve into picking the thing apart. But I did want to bring it up as it is something that we've learned about in our universe. Now, whether or not that plays out in a future episode, I really don't know. But my gut's telling me that this may be the only time we're discussing it. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time with it. What else did we learn, Ryan? Um, you know what, maybe this should have gone earlier, but it's also sort of a uh, character thing to see where our characters are going. Um, because Malia is talking to, after their, their big showdown with the video game, Malia is talking to Dylan about um, how he is someone who can never really, she would like to challenge him because he can never really be challenged. Um, and he doesn't ever seem to get exhausted. And my thought was, did you see him in the forest scene just five minutes ago? Because the dude was absolutely spent. Yes. Did, did you see how hard he was sucking air yeah. behind that log? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say anything negatively against him because I'm the exact same way. I can't yeah. I can't run 10 feet and I got to stop and hands on my hips. All right. That's where I'm at in my life. But I am, I'm also mm, pretty sedentary these days. Yeah. Aren't we all at this point? Dylan's Dylan's a high guard captain, but he's he has a much more stringent workout regime than I do. I it's, know that. It's interesting you bring this up because this was actually a little bit of trivia that I had learned but had just kind of filed it away. And, and this seems like an appropriate time to bring it up, so I'll do so. Uh, Kevin Sorbo actually had had, I think late in the third season, had had a... I think a series of minor strokes and this is actually something that impacted his ability to do his own stunt scenes and, and action scenes in the show. They had to actually start changing how they did action sequences for him because he would, he, he was uh, compromised a little bit. His health was a bit compromised and they had to be careful with that. So that, that windedness that you recognized readily, uh, He's not acting. <laughs> he's he's definitely struggling for air, and I, I don't know if that uh, brings an element of uh, of sympathy toward the man or not. But uh, it's definitely something that is impacting his ability to carry out these action scenes. So what I hear you saying is, I'm the jerk. I'm not saying that at all. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm really not. I'm just saying that's a little bit of trivia that I filed away a long time ago. And now. No, that's good to know. I'm glad that you shared that with me. You know, that was information I could have used three minutes ago. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Something else we learned. Drones. It's amazing that these drones have such robust inertial dampening systems. Don't you think? Yeah. Don't you feel oh, like yeah. that's a technology that you might put in like more toward like passenger liners and stuff like that. Not necessarily a cargo drone. No, nah, no, no. You got to feel the ride. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's what you want. That's what you want in a drone. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. In a in a big ship, that's what you want. You want to feel. Oh, oh, flip it is what you're saying. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So, so you want to know you're moving in a passenger liner. You need the well. If you put inertial dampeners that are that good in passenger liners, then the vomit bag companies all go out of business, don't they? Oh yeah, it's big vomit. That's what it's all. That's what it's all about. (laughs) Big vomit. Yes, yes. So, uh, big vomit. Yeah, that's we got to keep those companies. We got to keep them going. Give them something to do. <laughs> you know what? Since we're talking about that drone and the inertial dampers that are on there, or the gravity shield, um, as we used the term in this episode. So there at the end, um, skipping to the end of the episode, where we have uh, this drone is flying through space and they're trying to catch it. The whole time, Dylan demanding if I could go faster, faster, faster. It's as fast as I can go. Okay, cool. Go faster. Somehow she does. Now this is absolutely the fastest I can go, but I need you to go faster. Okay, you got it, Captain. Okay, that's a whole other thing, and I've just totally derailed my own point. But what I was going to was um, they're trying to catch the drone that is carrying Harper and the file D, right? They finally come up with a brilliant plan to shoot out the gravity shield generators because then that's going to slow it down enough they can get to it. Why didn't Harper feel that? Uh, yeah. They're shooting out the things that generate the gravity that cause him to not experience motion. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you shoot those things and it slows down, stands to reason it's lost the ability to uh, cradle the the soft matter inside, right? Right. And then the way that they captured the drone through the open hatch in yes (laughs) you you can't see i'm doing a visual here and all right so they captured the drone um through the hatch of the maru um that probably wasn't the softest landing i imagine not so harper didn't feel that either apparently not because he knew nothing until the door opened yeah yeah Uh, i'm i'm feeling like this is fantastic technology. It stretches the the ability for us, the viewer, to to believe any of it. Uh, uh, I mean, I was on board for a time until until we shot out the thing that makes it do the thing that it's doing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and then it shouldn't be able to do the thing anymore. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Yeah, and, and what I'm saying uh, to to your point on all of this is this is the thing that I homed in on less so than how the plot was actually unfolding. <laughs> but anyway, uh, did we learn anything about our characters? Anything else that you want to bring up in this segment here before we move on? You know, we do. We, we did. We have a little bit of um, with Harper because I mean, let's face it. The poor guy never gets called away on away missions. Uh, and now he does. So doesn't that seem just visually a little bit out of the ordinary when you're watching a scene and you see Harper down planet side with the crew. So you got to know something's up. I knew something was up. You probably knew something was up. How did Harper not know something was up until it was too late? He figured it out and good on him. Yeah. But for such a genius, a little late. Yeah. Or you just thought, Hey, I'm finally one of the cool kids. 
Yeah. Let's just roll with it. Probably a little bit of I'm one of the cool kids. He's also uh, distracted heavily by the beauty of the design of File D. He's wrapped up in that. And he's in basically a sensory deprivation tank. Yeah. So I I don't fault the guy for not putting two and two together a little bit quicker. Okay. But those were three things that you just said. Only one of them he was aware of before he left the Andromeda. <laughs> True. What's the conclusion? Not as smart as he thinks he is. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, and, and I and I will agree. neutron rays at everything. What's the deal with that? <laughs> yeah, like learn like about that, the thing I'm, before you activate it, right? Yeah, I don't know a lot about much, but I do know one thing: don't shoot neutron rays at the thing that can scramble your brain. Yeah. <laughs> what if don't, What if that's the thing that sets it off? Right. That's what turns you into liquid braino. Liquid braino. How'd you like that? I that, like that, that reference. Nice 20th I, century reference. I'm surprised it lasted 3,000 years. Yeah. Yeah. Like CDs. <laughs> anyway. I, I want to talk about strategy for just a moment here. Okay. Okay. That final scene what, that we've just been talking about. Let's just go ahead and wrap this up with this because here's another huge glaring problem that I see. And I, I, I want you to explain to me why they did this because it's very possible I missed something. Very likely, I should say. Uh, they have all these Magog ships. They're coming down on them. The Magog ships are trying to get this drone. They're trying to get to the drone first. They finally figure out a way to get to the drone. They finally get it. They get it. It's safe aboard. And so now they have the all clear and Dylan orders. Okay, now in a single shot, take out all the Magog ships. Do you see where I'm going with this? Um, why not fire on the Magog ships and eliminate the threat that could set off the file D? Oh, that's a good idea. I never even thought of that. And apparently neither had Dylan. Let's move on. Okay. Let's, let's, All right, then. let's put a All pin right. in it. Let's put a okay. pin, let's put a pin in it. Hold on. Let me, and we'll circle back to pin. this in our ending segment. What do you say to that? Yeah. Is this like one of those? thumbtacks that kind of looks like a top hat or just like one of the this is this is a thumbtack stuck into a post-it note that says hey dummies don't forget this okay all right all right okay got it let's move on uh ryan do you have a quote for us for this i do for harper slash delete all right you're never gonna believe who said this all right this is big time here okay ready all right and the pride shall stand as one powerful in the light and supreme among beings that was a nietzschean prophecy of drago museveni museveni himself said this yes yes that's incredible yes or for for maybe others who prefer drago museveni okay so here's what was happening uh drago museveni or museveni had had too much Sparky Cola <laughs> and uttered this quote. And it's wrong because as we see in this episode and in other episodes in which Nietzsche and square off against each other, they are dumb. Here's something I maybe don't know about Nietzsche and culture. Like what is their deity? What is their what? Their deity. Oh, okay. Do they have a theology or are they, I mean, it seems like, no. Nietzscheans 
Yeah. They are followers of Nietzsche. Yes. They would be, I mean, agnostic at least, right? Yeah. So philosophy is their religion. Okay. Belief in themselves, know, that is a deity. Yeah. So so where does prophecy come in for a Nietzschean culture? <laughs> there you go. That's how can you make supernatural predictions of the future when the whole core base of your entire cultural system is that you are the greatest that there is. Yeah. There's no one higher than you. Well, and, and I think essentially that's what Drago is saying here. My progeny are going to unite and become a force in the universe. The most powerful force in the universe is essentially the claim that he's making here. Cool. That's a mission statement, not a prophet. <laughs> You're right. You're right. A mission statement. I like it. <laughs> That's how that should read. Mission yeah. statement of <laughs> Draco Museveni circa, what was it? 20... 84-24. 84-24. Yeah. No, that is... You're absolutely right there. That's right. The prophecy uh, immediately denotes a sense of spirituality. And this is something that's devoid of the Nietzschean culture, I believe. Yeah, and it's not just this quote. I mean, it's what we know about the Nietzsche. It's, it's yeah. what the whole latter half of the third of the third season and, and, and Tyr's story arc was revolved around something that we learned in the first season was that there was supposed to be this um, genetic reincarnation of Drago Musevni. That was the prophecy. I just, I don't know. I, that, that, it just, it, it falls on nothing where is the base for something like i mean you've already said it. it it's a it's a it's a a a society a culture that is there there's no spiritual center to it i mean that was always the the dichotomy there between between tear and and um and rev bim through the first part of this uh series was because you have someone that is a pragmatist. Very spiritual. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then versus someone who is, what did you say? A pragmatist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Polar opposites. Yep. So where does all of this come in? Right. It, it's kind of been a little bit of an, an irritant, a little bit of a sticking point for me for some time. And, but there was never any reason to really talk about it. Uh, I don't know. Seems, it just, seems like as good a time as any right now. Yeah. So yeah. Brought it out of me. So. You, you have aired your grievances. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I I really don't have anything to say more than what I've already stated about this about this quote. And mm -hmm. and you're right. Uh I'm I'm trying to play it lightly and just say they they're dumb. This is not a prophecy that's going to come into fulfillment. I think yours is a little bit more insightful in that as a mission statement, uh, the Nietzschean people have failed in their uh in their mission. Yeah, but they're still trying. They are. They're they still, still think that this is what's going to happen because it's, yeah. it's been ingrained with them. This is this is their dogma. Yeah. Do you feel like maybe, and I'm I'm foreshadowing just a little bit. Uh, are are they? Is this the writers of the show winding us up for the big pitch that's about to come? Maybe. You know, let, let's throw something yeah. out there about Drago Masevni, uh, knowing that we've got a couple of big episodes coming up here. Let's let's get the let's get the viewer thinking about it. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. For, right. for the viewers who happen to pay attention. Yeah. To this 10 seconds of 
of script at the beginning of right. each episode. Right. But it, I just tossed that out there. I think we could just leave it. Okay. Interesting quote. Ultimately, it doesn't really go anywhere, particularly with this episode. Maybe in a future episode. All right, Ryan. Uh, so let's move on to our last segment here. Uh, we've talked about the show. We've talked about things that we've liked and poked, poked a little fun and had a little discussion. Harper Delete. How do we feel about this episode? I'll let you go first. All right. Hold on a second. Deleted. <laughs> Have you just expressed your feelings? Yeah, a, a little bit. I mean, maybe I was just a little bit more harsh than how I actually feel. Um, but I mean, there, there's really not. Here, here's what I like is that it brings back Nietzscheans. It brings back Fred of Magog. Uh, Dylan at the end we have a strong message and that message is you two have to settle your differences and get your crap together because there's something bigger coming. That's something that's bigger than you, me. It's bigger than all of us. And you're going to have to work together. We're going to have to work together if we're going to want to beat it. So, I mean, that that's a message for in universe. It's a message. Probably people see it as being a message even for our time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I mean, that's that's a positive is that we're reminded of these things that are going on in universe. And you know that I like it when 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 it remembers what's going on. As far as the what and the why, I'm, I'm not really sure why we had this story exactly. It doesn't really seem to fit into the overall arc of what's going on. And even though we did have those moments, they're really just reminders of, hey, this is a thing that's going on. Not necessarily anything that has anything to do with what we're doing right now. Um, and, I mean, you know, File D, what is that? Is it a statement on weapons of mass destruction? I mean, that was that was a thing, right? Maybe, I mean, what yeah. we're looking at, what, this is 2004? Mm-hmm. So... I mean, yeah, yeah that, that's a, that's it's, it's a, been that's a big concern in in the world at the time. Mm -hmm. So you know, maybe that maybe it's a it's a message on weapons of mass destruction. Um, I don't know. Maybe why so. do we have them? Yeah. Why why do we not just destroy them all? But well, even you know, even if that's the case, there's been better episodes that we've talked about on this show already that dealt with weapons of mass destruction, that dealt with the coming threat of the Magog, that dealt with people setting aside their differences in order to face the the bigger problems yeah. that are coming their way. Well, I mean, but that's just it, is that it, 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 it tells us things that we already know, things have been discussed already in a better way. Um, I, mean, I guess we, we had to have an episode for this particular week in yeah. 2004. We, we had... We're, we're on the march to 22 episodes for a season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 The, uh, the Nietzschean story. I don't know. The siblings stranded, estranged siblings, you know, from one side of the world to the other, you know, that's, that's the split is there's the, there's the, the primitive side and then there's a developed side. The, the hemispheres apparently are that, I mean, it, it's not entirely monoculture for this planet. I guess that's refreshing because that's one of the things I always get tired of, except that they're all Nietzscheans. I mean, how, how, how long do I need to, to ramble on here and try to grasp <laughs> at straws to try you, to find something? You, you've taken a solid five on this. Okay. Well, then, you know, uh, I don't know how long it takes me, but I know how long it took, and I'm done. 
<laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Uh, well, so so you're not terribly thrilled with this particular episode. No, 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 not really. Uh-uh. Okay. I will just say ditto because everything you just said is exactly the way I feel also. And uh, to that pin that yeah. we were going to circle around back to, here we are. We, we have arrived. They didn't think this thing through. They did not think this plot out properly. And yes, that is a glaring answer to the strategic situation. But it did not serve the plot as the writer or director or both envisioned filling out 45 minutes of a show, right? And so mm-hmm. we we look at it now and we're like, oh, this was a filler episode. This was, we were, we're marking time. Uh, we're putting a production code on this one. It doesn't have to really mean anything. It doesn't have to have a profound impact on the universe. We're not going to try and make it have an impact. And if this episode felt like a big waste of time, in my opinion. Bad decisions were made, poor decisions were made, and it all worked out for Dylan in the end. Roll credits, yeah. let's move on. <laughs> I, I wasn't thrilled with this episode. And the best part is, because we took four months off since the last time we did this, I got to watch it an extra time. <laughs> extra time, yeah. <laughs> so, there we go. Thanks, universe, for smiting us once again. <laughs> well, we were punished. We shouldn't have done that. That's true. That's true. We were punished for it. Yeah, well, I'm glad that we are apparently on the same page here. Um, but you know what? Maybe there are others out there listening who disagree with us. Ethan, if somebody may disagree with us, or even if they agree with us and would love to tell us all the reasons why, how might somebody get a hold of us? Well, they could do so by sending, sending us an email to drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. And by the way, several uh, have emailed us. And so to those that have emailed David, looking at you, thank you. We appreciate the kind words. Uh, yeah, you're, you you all are out there, and we're we're seeing those emails, and certainly appreciate it. Um, but yeah, uh, Andromeda Podcast at gmail dot com is where you can send those emails. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter using the handle at Andromeda Pod. Uh, actually, I'm the one that usually looks at the Facebook stuff, and Ethan over there looks at the Twitter stuff. So if somebody's talking to you on either one of those platforms, then there's a good idea who that might be. Uh, we are on Podbean. That's where our home is. Andromedaseries.podbean.com. There you will find every episode of Andromeda. And uh, just a quick reminder, and if you should feel so inclined, we do have a tip jar there on our site. And thank you very much to the ones who have uh, contributed to our efforts you know who you are uh you can also find us on uh apple podcasts and if you do listen to us over there if you would kindly give us a star rating and review we certainly appreciate that good thanks to our big friend doug anderson for lending us his voice for the opening quote at the beginning of this episode as always and we are an age of deep production and we hope that you will join us here again next time when we look at you know what Let's do a twofer one next time. What do you think? What do you hey, think about that? Little, little double dip? Are we are we being too ambitious? I don't think so. All right. Not so after four months off. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked about it. So the next two episodes are, are really kind of meshed together as one story. Um, so we thought it might be a good idea rather than splitting them up. Um, even though they're not on the list, they're not officially a part of the 
part two, but uh, we're gonna yeah, take we're gonna really take him as such. Yeah, so we're going to do uh, the next time you hear us, we are going to be doing two episodes soon. The nearing vortex and the world turns all around her. 